0: Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Acquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin.
1: I'm Maddie Cassidy.
0: And today, Maddie, it's it's just me and Maddie again. It's the dynamic duo. That's right. We are speaking with a familiar voice. If you listen to our Taste of Cena episodes, you have heard this person before. Tony Chen from Manolin was gracious enough to join us for a full conversation to talk about his big data project that is mandolin and it's <laughs> I, I you get to really hear how stupid i really am when we, when we do oh, this oh hey
1: don't sell yourself so I, short
0: i just i had a lot of trouble grasping the concept of what they do here and i think i got it by the end so i think I He explains it really well, and they're doing some really cool things. But before we get into that conversation, I want to remind everybody, as I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen, so you can get every new episode directly downloaded to your device automatically as soon as it's available.
1: And if you like what you're listening to, then we would love it if you leave a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. And while you're doing that, you might as well follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod.
0: Yep, or if you want to contact us, if you're not on Twitter and you want to contact us, you can use the contact form at globalseafood.org slash podcast. With that, enjoy this conversation we have with Tony, and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast.
2: Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Academia is your
0: go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down today with Tony Chen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Manolin. How's it going, Tony?
2: Good. How are you guys? Good. Great.
0: If this voice and name sounds familiar, it's because just a few short weeks ago, we had Tony on uh, a little quick. Teaser. Teaser interview, yeah. Um, we met up with him on, on the floor at the Boston Seafood Show, and he sat down with us for about 15 minutes and, and talked about mandolin a little bit. But we're going to get a little bit more in the weeds and talk about what you do and what's on the horizon for mandolin and all that fun stuff, how, people, how it can benefit people in the industry. But before we do that, let's hear about you, Tony. What's your story? How did yeah, you, where get, do you how did to start? get to here? Wherever you want.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll go way back then. Um, so I, I guess okay. back in high school and growing up, I've always been interested in the water. I swam in college, fished pretty much my entire life, but never really found myself as a career in the ocean. I was always lived, I, I, every place that I've lived, I'll have always been a couple hours away from the ocean. So it, it was only really weekend trips or summer vacations for me. Hmm. Um, I ended up doing a computer science degree at MIT. And then after that, ended up in Washington, D.C., working in management Consulting. So I was building a lot of the big data systems at the FDA and the DOT, um, really helping with that cloud migration and upgrading governmental systems. But so my background, a lot of engineering, a lot of data, never really got into the ocean side of things until I found oyster farms. So for us, um, random weekend trips, ended up in the Chesapeake Bay and found aquaculture through oyster farming and thought it was just the coolest business. Um, that's <laughs> how we really got introduced into the market, into the industry, learned a lot more about, you know, what what the potential was for aquaculture, for seafood, some of the challenges that were happening in the industry. And that's what orig- eventually led us to go to Norway to focus on salmon. We recognized that when you look at data and bringing insights to the industry, there wasn't a market that was more advanced than the market in Norway. So we, together with my co-founder, we ended up on the shores of Bergen and have been there ever since. You're still there? Are you there now? I'm not there now. Um, so I spend <laughs> my time outside of COVID traveling back and forth, but my co-founder, John, has been there for the last few years now. Very cool. So, Manolin,
0: what is it? What do you do? Give us the basic rundown. How did it start?
2: Yeah, I'm curious, like, what
1: was the catalyst for hey, we should start this thing. Like, Mm -hmm. was it just because you saw a gap in the market or like, what was that moment that made you and your co-founder decide, let's do this?
2: Absolutely. So for us, Manolin, we are an analytics company. Um, we primarily provide risk forecasting and decision support tools to the salmon market. Um, but as far as how we started, it really started in the Chesapeake Bay. We saw these businesses growing oyster farms. They were bringing in millions of dollars in 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 revenue every year. But we asked them what some of their challenges were, and you know, it starts. I think any aquaculture farmer will tell you, disease mortalities. They lose a lot of fish, or they lose a lot of their crop every single year. For oyster farmers, you know, it's half. Of their crop. For a salmon farmer, it's still at roughly 20%. Um, but what we recognized kind of going back to the oyster days was that if you really wanted to improve mortality rates, you gotta collect data. We gotta know where these fish or oysters at the time were actually dying and what are some of the reasons behind it. We kind of understood from our data background that there's so many different influencing factors that could impact these farms. You're looking at climate change, you're looking at runoff, you're looking at, you know, waves. So many different factors could impact mortality. And if farmers wanted to make an improvement there, you really got to get to the bottom of it. So we started by just building inventory software, helping farmers move off of pen and paper and whiteboards, digitalizing some of this data. What we recognized in salmon was that the problems were the same, but the big difference was that the amount of data available was worlds apart. Salmon farmers, you know, compared to traditional or not traditional, but other aquaculture operations have had inventory software for 20 to 30 years. They have histories of data that that that, that you could utilize to drive towards these answers, so that's what we're up to today, and our main focus again has been on that salmon market, but how we've changed from 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 seeing the problems in the industry
0: so okay this uh, uh, this is Above my head. So I'm not I'm not a big data guy. You know, it's not something that, I, that <laughs> comes naturally to me. So can you can you kind of help break it down a little bit? How does it work? How can we use all of this data to help make some of the you know, in your website, you talk about predictions and stuff like mm-hmm. this? How can we use big data? Because Salmon farming is done in so many different types of locations around the world. And how can someone in raising salmon in Chile use the same type of data to make similar predictions as someone in Scotland would use?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for one, the world... The world has learned a lot about how diseases spread. I think COVID has accelerated our knowledge of epidemiology and transmission vectors. You know, these are words that people largely understand nowadays. But uh, the comparison that we make is that you're trying to find the infection vectors. When you're talking about an open cage farm in the aquaculture world, there's so many things that could impact it. It could be boat traffic. It could be a changing water tide. It could be currents. It could be people moving in between the sites. It could be the genetics of the animal. All of these different factors have an influence towards the health of the fish. Similarly to COVID, you know how susceptible you are to certain diseases comes from how healthy you are, who you interact with, what you are eating, very similar comparisons. And we're able to draw those same conclusions out of the data within fish farming and aquaculture because a lot of it is available. But driving towards those answers helps farmers make better decisions as to, do I change a feed? Should I not treat my fish this week and push it off till next week? really trying to find those optimizations in there that raise a healthier animal. But what you've seen, I think, from the data side and the digital side is the world of computing has really grown in the last 10 to 15 years. You know, Machine learning mm. was not something that people understood 10, 12 years ago. It's a very new technology, but when you talk about it, the real advantage is being able to find trends in the data. So in order to do, in order to find those trends, you need to have large data sets. And largely in aquaculture, most of these data sets haven't existed. And it's not just an aquaculture problem. When you look at agriculture, the amount of data that's been generated, the amount of data that's been generated from our phones is massive. And a lot of that has really increased in the last five years. So we have new techniques to get to the answers. We have a much larger data set to work with nowadays. And then the science is obviously evolving as to, understanding what is the reasonings behind these actual issues. So how
0: does it, how does it work though? Like you get, mm-hmm. you, you, mm-hmm. have you, so you, you, have a lot of um, experience in history in, in engineering. engineering, yep. right? So were you, is that what, what you did for this as you kind of engineered like a, a software program that takes that, takes all this big data and then creates those, like finds those trends? Is that how it works? I
2: Forgive my no, ignorance. No. I really... <laughs> I, it's, I, absolutely. It's from, from our side, what we do is really three separate steps. So for one is collecting data. So we try to gather data from as many different data sources as possible. This right now, we bring in roughly 90 different factors into our models. And this is powered by public data sets, environmental sensors, public data coming from the farm, satellite imagery, a whole host of different different sources as to really trying to find the, the, anything that may impact the health of the fish primarily. So that's step 1 is finding all of the data. Number 2 is you send this data into the into the computer's utilize machine learning to find trends. So what we tell the computer is we have all the outcomes. We know where lice happens, we know where PD viruses have occurred historically. We have also given the computer everything leading up to it. So here's the growth of the fish, here's how much it was fed ask the computer to find those trends as to what is leading to these outcomes so obviously in a across salmon right let's say 20% of sites capture a disease? Can the computer using all these 90 variables that we have figure out what are the actual leading cases and what's the correlation that leads to this 20% outbreak? And we can use that as a baseline to really predict what's happening next. So in the future, if a certain set you know, conditions occur, let's say it's a combination of water temperature, fish health, the specific feed you're giving them. If this situation occurs, we have a confidence interval as to whether that will lead to a disease outbreak or not. Um, so that's really how our system works. We bring in a lot of data. We've built these models to predict and understand when they've happened historically and then utilize that information to forecast when it may happen again.
0: So you're looking for, okay, I'm, I'm starting to understand it. So let me try and break this down mm-hmm. in, a, in a really simple, so if if you're looking at all of this data and you and you're, you're, the computer finds a correlation that says, okay, uh, there are these many reports of Uh, disease outbreaks. And in this many of those reports, uh, for five days beforehand, the water temperature went up and the salinity went down. And that's a correlation that affected a high percentage. uh, You know, there was a correlation within a high percentage of those to event types you got and it. so then you can then you can say okay so if i see start to see that my temperature has gone up and my salinity has gone down after a couple of days then we can feel fairly confident that it could potentially lead to a disease outbreak and we can maybe start to prepare for that absolutely is that the idea did i get that <laughs> you got it very clear Oh, All right. <laughs> All right. Not that that made any sense. I don't know if, if no, that Temperature sense raises and salinity oh. drops will lead to disease, but that's just that's what <laughs> just came to my example. mind. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. So,
1: do you tend to look at things in most broadly through like year over year data, or is it like location by location data?
2: It varies. It's really a combination of both, but it also depends on the type of disease or the issue you're trying to forecast. You know, for right. shorter mm-hmm. term issues, you know, a mass mortality event, you know, that could be looking at trends that happen, you know, a week before these events occur. Um, but it's a combination mm-hmm. of both because one of the things in, in this industry, things are developing year over year, right? Farmers don't typically choose the exact same feed, the exact same farming. Technique. A lot of this is being adopted in actual real time. Um, so it really is a combination of both as far as looking historically and then looking directly at that particular site.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I just can't even imagine... Looking at all of those different variables, like 90 different variables have an impact on. That's
0: why they call it big data.
1: (laughs) That's just so overwhelming. So it's a good thing we have computers to figure it out for
2: us. Well, Tony does it. That's what Tony does. (laughs) No, absolutely. I mean, I think the big thing there is if you look at trends that have happened, again, talking about machine learning. In the past, we couldn't do this. You couldn't look across all of those variables. That's really where kind of big data machine learning has really come into play over the last few years. I mean, this has been leading technology behind Google and Facebook and kind of the big tech platforms has been their ability to do this. And historically, I mean, when you used to find these answers... You would traditionally go and get a research grant, go to an actual university, conduct a study, capture a segment of data. Now you're able to do it in mass and really get to a lot better answers. But I mean, this is what's been driving a lot of tech products over the, the this these last 10 years. What's so cool about this is it's almost like not a new process, right? It's like, it's just,
0: it's refining it and making it as accurate as it can be. Because if you think about it, you know, a hundred years ago, Farmers were trying to do the same thing. They'd, they'd say, "Okay, this is happening with the weather. That means this rainy season is coming, and when we have this type of anomaly, that means all my crops are going to die." You know, like it's the same. It's it's the same process that people have been doing. It's just it's refining it and it's it's using real data points that we have have accumulated as opposed to just plain observations that have been made over time. So it's that's really it's super cool. So my question is, the gap. How do you bridge the gap between this data and the predictions and stuff that are made with it and the farmers that can use this this information mm-hmm. is it is it a just a, a, an app that they subscribe to and they they are able to track the information that they're looking for how does how does that work how do we get it to the farms
2: yeah so for us the way that we do it is through a dashboard so Farmers that sign up to our platform, they have access to their data and these forecasts through our our, our, our our website. They essentially log in and they get automated notifications, disease forecasting, and then a suite of analytical tools that help them look deeper into this data. But as far as getting it out into the real world, I mean, one of the things that I've always said, I've never been a farmer. You probably don't want to ask me to be a farmer. Um, then- <laughs> I, I, I've killed quite a few fish in my fish tank when I was trying to build aquaponics systems. Um, <laughs> So I wouldn't necessarily ask myself to be a farmer, but what we can do is arm you know the people that are making decisions with a lot of these insights. So that's what we're doing whenever we're working with particular farmers. There's been a lot of knowledge that has been gained over the last 30 to 50 years across this industry, and that knowledge is invaluable. I mean, it's grown the industry to where it is today. We see ourselves as being an additive tool on top. So do you make a decision just based on our forecast? I wouldn't trust it 100 percent of the time, but I will say that our models are more correct than they're not. So what that really means from an operational side is, what you're getting is an extra data set or a data point on top of the eyes, nose, ears that 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 you've traditionally used. So you may see in our forecast that we say lice is going to climb at this site. We also give you a couple of reasons as to why we're tr- seeing this trend happen and that can influence you to make a different decision. You can either confirm it based on experience or you could, you know, go a different route. But it's adding more of that contextual information. I mean, when you one of the challenges with aquaculture, right? It's very hard to see happening under the water. That's one of the reasons I would argue that, you know, terrestrial crops, we can see everything that's happening. Farmers can touch, feel, look at it, and you don't really get that within aquaculture. So the Mm, data set and insights that we give is just another, another sensory output essentially, but it is a completely different world. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think what sets this apart for, in my mind, is the accessibility to all, like this suite of data, because compiling all of these different sources and variables and like real-time data that people can plug in their own information to, there's really nothing out there like that. It's just, it's such an interesting idea and it seems so simple, but I can imagine that it is not simple at all.
2: Well, it's a, it's a simple concept that is very
1: like a t- like an age-old problem
2: it's solving. Right. I'm glad to hear it that way. I mean, one of the comparisons that we continue to make is you know, when you look at a weather forecast, we all pull up the weather every day. Maybe if you live in Southern California, you don't need to, um, but for <laughs> most of us living elsewhere, you look at that weather forecast to influence what you choose to wear every single day. The science that goes on behind that, you know, there's so much that's happening, and we also know that these weather forecasts are not necessarily correct. Every every once in a while, I'd say it's going to rain and it doesn't. You know, there's plenty of science going on, but that. Piece of information still influences how you make a decision and what you actually do every single morning. You know, I decide whether I take a raincoat with me or not, um, and that's the same thing that you want farmers to be able to do to get that extra piece of information, so that they're just a little bit more ready to go whenever something does happen.
0: Right, and then the more data that you get, you can zoom out even further and look at even the larger picture. And if you're if you're doing the weather analogy, this is actually something that we used to use to. That's almost the exact analogy that we used to use when I worked at the aquarium in Boston mm. to help talk about climate change and in yeah. climate versus weather. Right? We'd say, okay, weather. The weather tells you what clothes to wear that day. The climate tells you what clothes to buy and have in your wardrobe. Mm. So if you're That's living in analogy. if you're living Absolutely. in different climates, then like we we live in New Hampshire. We're gonna have different different wardrobe than someone who's living in Florida because the climates are different, and so, you know, the further out you look, you can see much larger pictures of everything that's going on. So you can tailor what you're doing to your specific operation, which is that's a good analogy. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, manolin has been around for a few years now, and I'm wondering if you've heard from customers that they've seen improvements. It might be too soon to tell because you would need to look at, like, the super long-term <laughs> trends. But if you've heard from any customers that, oh, this this helped us increase X
2: absolutely no I mean it's I think that's one of the things with farming it takes time to prove right it, you have a full Definitely. generation before you're able to see results and yeah we have been around for a few years we actually recently just published a case study with with one of our close partners in Norway they're one of the more sustainable and better performing farms but still considered small in the sense that you know it's still a family-owned operation we were able to prove mm-hmm. 41% mortality improvement over previous generations um, wow. as far as them using our platform as the forefront of Of how they look at data. And obviously it's not, you know, completely due to our system. They've made some very smart decisions from the operational side, um, but they have seen very, very good improvements uh, from a mortality standpoint, which we're really happy to share.
1: Yeah, that's really significant. 41%. Yeah, for sure. So when you, when customers are looking at their dashboard and their data points, does Manolin provide like an analysis of what those numbers mean, or is it more up to the farm to understand what those mean for predictions?
2: It's a little bit of both. Um, So we've built workflows that try to make it as simple as possible. Um, So if you're making a lice decision, what is the lice forecast? What are some of the underchanging factors that are leading to it? We also offer kind of tools that you can look at other pieces of data and make correlations by Yourself. I think this is a journey from the tech and product side that we're constantly on of working very closely with our farmers to help them make the smarter decisions. Um, But it's a little bit of a combination of both. I don't have a direct answer there, Um, but it's something that we work with with our farmers. Our goal is obviously, our, our thesis has always been this industry, if you look, compare it to other, you know, animal production systems, we're still orders of magnitude away from a mortality standpoint from where 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 animal production needs to be and protein production. Um, in order to get there, we need to make changes to the decisions that are made. You can't just keep operating the same way, but making a change to a decision is not necessarily an actual easy thing to do. You have to have a lot of confidence to make that happen. So that's what our platform is designed to do, is to give farmers the confidence to maybe change up the way that they currently operate.
1: Right, yeah, nothing changes if nothing changes.
2: (laughs) Simple (laughs) concept. (laughs) There's the quote of it. (laughs) it.
1: And I can imagine that there's also... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) <laughs> I love that quote. Nothing changes. It's like, if nothing changes. It's so simple, but like it makes sense.
0: That's the realest sentence you could possibly <laughs> say.
1: I can imagine that from your customer standpoint, they'd also need to, like with these larger decisions that you were just talking about, they'd need to like make a business case for their management or their ownership or something and say, We really think that this is the direction we need to move in when you look at these long term trends. X could help us decrease mortality rates. By at least a little bit.
0: And then once they make that swap, you won't know if it's really effective for Absolutely. a while. Years probably. You know? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean I think that's one of the the big challenges with the industry is also that feedback loop, right? It's how how have farmers historically done it? You know, they buy a feed, they put deploy it on a farm. The fish grow well one year for a variety of different reasons. Maybe the conditions were great. Maybe they avoided viruses and diseases. And then they can go back to the feed company and give them a a raving quote. You know, this was a fantastic year for us. The feed was looking great, but we don't really know if it was the feed or something else. So being able to open up that transparency is something that we believe data has a large role to play in. Um, You're seeing it across agriculture as well, but these feedback loops just take such a long time. And there's so much that could in impact a farm. Um, That's another big issue that that, that we see data really helping out with. Because like you're saying, these investments, they're not small investments. Salmon farms, you know, produce quite of, salmon farms are quite large in the aquaculture space. So to make a simple choice as to I'm going to use one feed versus another, there's a huge monetary investment to be made on that decision.
1: Right. Yeah, that would be a huge decision, even though like for from a consumer's standpoint maybe they would think that that's just like a oh yeah just change the feed but it's actually a huge decision to and a, and a big risk yeah yes if
2: it goes wrong you know it's you could lose lose your entire crop
1: yeah
2: which happens absolutely yep. <laughs> you hear plenty of those stories for sure yeah i actually
0: heard and this will make you feel a little bit better about your aquaponics ventures um <laughs> i I heard somewhere, and I don't know if it was back when I was in college studying aquaculture what but um someone said two scenarios that make you an aquaculturist or fish farmer you you've either killed a million fish or you've killed like three thousand fish overnight
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that then and after you have that experience, then you can call yourself a fish farmer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a great quote, I've heard it too, but I mean it's where when you hear those things. Can you imagine if that was the case in a different industry? Oh my like, god! Like, is no, I know. It's not even—it's unfathomable. You talk to a hospital and and talk about those types of numbers, and you know yeah. that's where this industry's got so much to kind of grow and a ton of opportunity. But it's it's crazy to to hear that for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. and we look at it as just—we're you know—it's
1: just the norm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, I mean, when I worked my last job, I was raising zebrafish in a biomedical lab at Brigham and Women's, and you know, we would have to do these mass mass killings because they you know we don't we didn't want them to introduce disease or they were you know they were on the schedule to to be mm-hmm. killed and we would kill thousands of them at a time and didn't really think about it it's just
1: it's part of the clear research.
0: clear out these tanks absolutely
1: so what is next for manolin i know we kind of talked a little bit about this in our mini interview at boston but i'd love to hear a little bit more in depth about the projects that you're working on That will be coming out in the next year to few years
2: sure I mean I, I think we've touched a little bit on it today but the vision that we have is I mean we've talked a lot about you know the challenges with the industry and and some of these numbers and and where the industry can get better you know our vision is that aquaculture becomes one of the largest food production systems in the world but it's also the most sustainable and most efficient way for us to produce protein as well as many other kind of food sources so in order to get there what we see is you know it's not only just making operational improvements on the farms but there's also a whole list of services that need to exist as the industry gets more and more mature and you know going back to Sean's point of view of, of you know when you look at higher level views what can you do with that type of information you know for us mm-hmm. we're starting to look towards financing insurance kind of some of these larger plays as far as how the industry becomes more secure I think one of the craziest stories I've heard and you know th- it really stuck with us since the beginning was that oyster farmers don't qualify for USTA crop insurance it's been something that's been fought over for for the last 20, 25 years, as I understand it. Um, But that's been an ongoing challenge. And when we're talking about, you know, helping farmers invest in the future, being able to make more, more, more resilient businesses, those are the types of services that are gonna need to exist. So for us, it's not only expanding outside of salmon into other species, you know, getting back into shellfish or, or, or other markets, but it's also about building those, helping build those downstream kind of tools and services that the industry is gonna need if it's really going to become kind of at the forefront from a protein production standpoint. Nice pun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Downstream. I caught that.
2: Yep.
0: Always (laughs) intend your puns. Um, So I, I want to go backwards a little bit um, in the conversation, because one thing that I've been thinking about as we've been talking about this, that's interesting to me is uh, the data collection. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked about kind of, you 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 ran through like a bunch of different things really quick on ways that you collect data and I wanted to just be like ah, stop ah, wait talk about that but um you were on a roll so I didn't stop you so can can you talk to us a little bit about data collection how you get this data where it comes from and is there anything that you had to implement yourself or were these existing processes that were already collecting this data that
2: you could just tap into how does how does that work yeah so I mean I to go a little bit more in depth on the data side it, our data sources largely come from two sides. Sectors. one is the private one is the public sector so the public sectors all the governmental records um, satellite imagery you know everything supplied by from governmental systems and from the private side is coming out of the farms and that includes inventory cameras sensors anything that a farmer has deployed um, for us we have not had to deploy any hardware that's partly why we chose salmon um, as as a market that that was the right fit for us was specifically because sensors cameras inventory software that was all available within salmon. So we just had to tie into those systems and could really focus on the actual insights. So we don't deploy any sort of hardware ourselves. The other great kind of benefit is the Norway system has a lot more public data available around aquaculture than any other market. So it was just the ripe environment for us from that standpoint. So we don't currently deploy any sort of hardware. So we just tie into existing systems. Oh, that's nice. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's so
0: neat. Um any and I'm sure you've thought about this uh, and it probably wouldn't be till pretty far down the road, but um, any thoughts on expanding that into other species as well?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think when you look at the growth of aquaculture, it's not happening in just salmon. Um, there's other right. markets that 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 are moving a lot quicker and you know, th- it's producing huge volumes, whether you're looking at shrimp or shellfish or tilapia. I mean, these are very important species when it comes to the aquaculture markets. And I mean, for us, we do have plans in the future to move towards those. Um, data collection, I think the other side of The other, I guess, answer towards data collection is these other industries are quickly catching up. You're seeing startups that have been working in shrimp and and oysters and and, and kelp, and there's so much more sensing that's happening. Um, That's a huge kind of we have a very optimistic view of that as far as, you know, how much data is going to be available in this industry in the next couple of years here.
1: Yeah, that makes sense as other Sectors of the industry mature. You'll be able to help them out as well.
2: Yeah, for us, we 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 want to be really good at the risk forecasting component um, and being able to utilize this data to generate additional value. That's really the the focus from our business standpoint.
0: So when we saw you at Boston, you uh, also had some meetings with our program integrity department. Is that accurate? Ooh, I did a little bit. Yep. Okay. Are you able to talk about kind of what your what? You've been doing or planning with with the BAP program or is that something that's kind of not
2: I don't know how much I can share right now. Um, I, I can talk about, you know, the 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 interest, essentially, I mean, from from our standpoint, whether you're looking at certification bodies, regulators, you know, financiers in this industry. To be honest, we're all looking at much a lot of the same data. When you look you know across GSA sustainability pillars, those criteria, you know whether it's feed, environment, worker safety, I forget the last one, but I know there's another pillar. Um, when you look across those pillars, that's really what defines sustainability no matter how you want to slice or dice it. You can pick specific variables within it. So but at the end of the day, those are the major components that matter when you're looking towards getting certified as far as making improvements on the farm. Um, and there's a lot of room for collaboration. So that's an area that we see ourselves kind of moving into as well is is working with specific partners on how we can utilize this information to unlock more value for the farms. But what we're seeing is, you know, across all these different sectors, the data is m- much the same. And there's opportunities to really accelerate it and and, and speed up the types of offerings we can give. I think animal welfare is. Yes, really that's the last one. I should <laughs> yeah. know that considering that's one of our I big know, focuses. That one's like- <laughs> Your <laughs> your
1: most important. Absolutely. That. Maybe oh, it just God. goes without saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we talked about, uh, you know, what's, what's on the horizon, but uh, if anybody wants to be involved, you know, we have a lot of people in the salmon farming industry that listen to this show. Uh, if they weren't aware of, of, Manolin and what you guys are doing, uh, what's the best way for them to get more information, get more involved, contact you or someone at your company?
2: Yeah. Uh, they can go to our 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 website, com or email me directly at Tony at com. And that's M A N O L
0: I N Aqua dot com. Correct. I think I spelled that out on the last episode too. Um I don't know why I felt the need to do that. I <laughs> just feel like that's something that people would spell wrong. <laughs> Um, is there anything else, Maddie, do you have any other questions for Tony while we're so Tony, is there anything else that you want to get out while you have the platform?
2: Um, I don't think there's anything else. I think you've shared, we've covered quite a bit here.
0: Yeah, no, we definitely <laughs> covered have a lot of ground. I'm really glad that we were able to take a more in-depth look at this whole process that you got going on here. Um, you know, I, I think, I think our conversation in Boston was awesome and informative and fun, but it didn't do it justice. Uh, so this is definitely, this was really good, helpful for me to take a deeper dive into this and really understand it much better. And I really appreciate you being able to kind of break that down and and explain it to us. So thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Folks, that was our conversation with Tony Chen of Manolin. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something and we hope you are excited about Big data
1: (laughs) i actually i'm really excited about this i was just going into this conversation like not fully grasping the power that this really has like Mm -hmm. this can really change the entire seafood industry and some points were brought up that i had never really thought about like comparing the mortality rate of fish to other sectors like not even food sectors but like other sectors of the world like hospitality or the medical field it's pretty crazy Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of room for improvement and mandolin can help
0: for sure this is this kind of stuff is like the closest that we have to telling the future
1: it really is
0: yeah tony's a psychic when you think about it that way it's it's kind of cool Anyway, if you enjoyed that episode and you want to hear more episodes like this, make sure you subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get all those new episodes directly downloaded onto your device as soon as they're available.
1: And you can follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And if you'd like to get in touch with us about being a guest or you have a topic suggestion or you want to sponsor the show then you can do that at globalseafood.org slash podcast.
0: That's right. And remember to take a couple minutes and rate and review Aquademia wherever you listen. It really helps us a lot. And we appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. We will talk to you next time.
1: Bye. Ciao.
0: Adios. I did both.